you can't sell like me. I can't right. sell like you. Right. You can't take a script. You can't go find a silver bullet online. There are no silver bullets, but you can't take someone else's ideas and just put them into play because they won't work that well for you. All right. So, folks, welcome. I am super excited today at the podium with Manuel Mesco with a very good friend and 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 peer, really. I mean, he is a sales wizard, servant selling 101 to 401. Uh, Jeff Bajoric. And Jeff is a sales trainer, coach, author, and the host of the Why and the Buy podcast. And Jeff, 400 episodes. Yeah. Welcome. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, 400 episodes. Uh, you're still the best dressed guest we've ever had. <laughs> bar none. That, that, <laughs> bar, bar none. Bar none. <laughs> Look, folks, Jeff's a husband to Laura. Definitely outkicked his coverage. Three wonderful children. One of his children this morning asked him if he was going to a wedding. <laughs> I have a pocket square in and everything. It, it, you know, it's like, Dad, where are you going? Um, it, it's, uh, it's funny. I love it. So, Jeff, welcome, man. I cannot wait. I mean, this is going to be literally like 45 minutes of a blaze of glory, like <laughs> absolutely like verbal assault, verbal judo, verbal warfare, mm -hmm. uh, all about selling and living our greatest life ever. I've been mm -hmm. excited to have you on. I'm glad our schedules match. But hey, we always begin with three questions. And recently I've added a fourth, added oh a fourth. So let's start with the first. What's your favorite color? I'm big into blue, um, but I like orange and purple as well. I like vivid colors. Um, and uh, my branding is a very deep navy blue with a really nice, like really red accent to it. But uh, I'm big into orange and purple, particularly this time of year, right? We're getting into fall. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I like bright colors. I'm not I, so I'm not so fond of green. I, I just I, I can't get into it. I don't know why, but greens and browns, not so much for me. No, no earth tones, no earth tones for Jeff. <laughs> hey, I was told at a very young age in this industry, I think I was like 23, 24, uh, that, that Navy suits and white shirts, those are the colors of trust. Ooh. <laughs> and so uh, <laughs> that's all I own. Um, colors of trust. Okay. So, I like it. Hey, like favorite it. afternoon snack. I have a problem with tortilla chips. Like if a tortilla salt chip or no ever salt. Wanted... salt or no salt. Oh, salt. Oh. Yes. Yes. It's like I'd say chips and salsa, but let's be honest, the salsa is optional. Like <laughs> if if a tortilla chip company wanted to um, sponsor our podcast, I don't think they'd have to pay us in money. They could probably <laughs> pay me in chips, and uh, probably be less than they would think. Um, yeah, it's I I might have I'm going to start a, a group called uh, Tortilla Chips Anonymous. And uh, that's going to be our our local chapter meeting. We'll meet, uh, I don't know, every Cinco de Mayo, maybe. I don't know. Hey, Chad, let's make sure we tag Azteca Foods and El Milagro uh, on <laughs> yes. this episode when we drop it. <laughs> if we if we get this deal done, I want 10% of the chips sent to my home. You got it. You got it. <laughs> hey, favorite childhood superhero? You know, this is interesting um, because I've heard some of your podcasts in the past and I knew this question was coming. I didn't have one. And I think, wow. you know, when it, when it comes to really heroes, going back with the perspective I have now, I recognize who my heroes were and are because they've 
you know, they've had such profound influences on my life. I think about my parents. I think about, um, and I think about my parents, I think about mentors, um, things like that, but I was never a comic book guy. I was never, I mean, even I played a lot of sports growing up. I had favorite players, but I wouldn't have ever called them heroes. And so it was an interesting question for me to ask. And now my kids are all into Marvel superheroes and the whole Marvel cinematic universe. And my daughter is a big fan of, you know, black widow and my son's a big fan of black Panther and Thor and, and like Spider-Man and Iron Man. Right. I like my, (laughs) my kid, my, my son. So whenever, whenever um, Endgame, Avengers Endgame came out, and I think everybody on the planet saw that movie. So no spoilers here. Um, My son was probably seven or eight years old when that came out. And I remember him that summer drawing on in, in sidewalk chalk on the sidewalk. We will miss you forever. Iron man. Like he was emotionally wrought by that film, you know? And, and um, like, so he's like really, really into it. I was never that kid though. So I, I don't want to not answer your question, but I think in not answering it, I, I think I've, I've learned some things um, about heroes really. That's awesome. Hey, you know what? I prefer that one. I prefer that one. That's probably my favorite response so guess. far. <laughs> oh, hey, but Dork's already being difficult this morning, gang. <laughs> no, no mercy on the 230 pound guy that just acknowledged to him. I can't stop sweating because we just had a fire drill and I'm on the 31st floor, folks, and I walked it in a full soup. So, okay. Oh. Last question. So this is this yeah. I, like I love this one. I, I tend to get into some type of quick discussion around music with folks. And so mm. I decided to just add who is your favorite artist or what is your favorite album or song? Mm. My favorite artist is a band called Tool. They're a heavy progressive rock outfit that's been around since the early nineties. And what's been really interesting is I think I found that music at a time, particularly in college where there were a lot of decisions being made, a lot of reflection, a lot of ideas being thrown around. It's a beautiful thing about going, particularly going away to school. You put yourself in a new environment, expose yourself to new ideas, and you get to make decisions for yourself with a bit of a safety net. Cause I, don't, I mean, most people, and maybe it's fair to say most people, you have a certain amount of financial responsibility, but there's still a bit of a safety net underneath you. Yeah. Right? So you learn, you kind of get, you kind of dip your toe into the water from the shallow into the pool. Um, but that was a band that started out very angry and aggressive, which fit my vibe at the time, but then has also grown into something very complex, very dynamic, very thoughtful and very thought provoking. And I really like where it goes. And uh, it's really about questioning everything that you've been told to be true and deciding for yourself. And it really bringing in um, a lot of new ideas. Um, I don't f- take everything that the band talks about, writes about, plays about, and, uh, you know, t- treat it as gospel, but it's very provocative. And I like that. Um, and the musicianship is impeccable. So um, there, there's my answer. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that with us. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, as I mentioned today, you know, I, w- I want to have a really thoughtful and deep conversation around everything selling. You know, I, I love so much of what the content and the conversations that you put out there for us to, to absorb uh, just valuable lessons, nuggets, strategies from. And so if we can, I just want to begin with understanding the vision behind the podcast, mm-hmm. the why and the buy how you get to 400 episodes, 
obviously if you're not a glutton for punishment. I mean, there's real value being delivered. Mm-hmm. There's real value being delivered. And tell me a little bit about, tell me a little bit about where the podcast is going here in the future. Mm. Well, um, we started five years ago. I mean, the, the way you get to 400 some odd episodes is um, you just keep making them. You keep doing them. Right. And uh, Christy Walters and I started this podcast and I don't think she could make it the, the day that we had you on. I think it was no. just you and I talking and she wasn't yeah. able. She's every time she misses a podcast recording day is because she's closing a deal somewhere. And um, people kind of think that's a joke. Like, no, seriously, she runs a sales team. She's a director level at a um, at an international security firm. And like, hey, Jeff, duty calls. Like, can you take this interview by yourself? Um, but Christy and I started, we met each other in 2016 in Charlotte um, at a workshop and we, we hit it off and our businesses were both really fledgling. Mine was about a year older than hers and we just were supporting each other. And, you know, we had a really good rapport. She coached me through some things. I coached her through some things. And uh, the, the reason it started was, I mean, I, I like to write she doesn't so much. And she's like, I, I need to get some content out there. I need to get a platform out there. I need people to find me somehow. Um, so what can we do? And we'd have these really good conversations every three to four weeks. And uh, finally it dawned, I don't remember if it was her, or if it was me, but it was like, you know, we can't be the only people wondering about these things, thinking about this challenged by these obstacles here. Um, these conversations are pretty good. Why don't we just record them and put them out? And then we know we're helping people because we're not alone. And secondly, it, it solves the content issue. And so we, we really challenged uh, a couple of um, topics right off the bat. And then we, um, we just kind of went with it from there. And then we, you start having guests on because it is uh, important to bring a third perspective in. And then we took some guests that didn't end up being very good guests because uh, not every person who says they're going to be a great podcast for you, a guest for you is actually a great podcast guest mm-hmm. for you. And then we, we reached out to people that we really respected and um, our networks grew exponentially. And, you know, now, I mean, we've been around this, uh, this will be our, this, well, we're finishing our fifth season, our fifth full year. We've changed formats. We've explored, we've found what works for us. We found what doesn't work for us. And um, we've moved uh, to a place where we're really happy with where it is and, and what it's accomplished for us. This is really interesting. And this hasn't been said publicly yet, but I'm going to take um, a little, make a little executive decision here. <laughs> we're actually set it. We're actually setting the podcast down after this year. Um, so we're going to end up with 430 some odd episodes or something like that. But uh, Christy's career is moving in a, in a slightly different direction than it was five years ago. My career is moving in a slightly different direction than it was five years ago. And, um, you know, we both decided that we want to work together on something at some point, but we need to reassess what that is. Mm. And uh, so after five full, five full years, um, this December, we're going to we're going to set it down. Wow. How do you celebrate that? How do you celebrate five years of, of, uh, of exploring, of, of, you know, winning and losing of learning? Uh, how do you celebrate those five years at the end? A great question. We're, we're going to make a formal announcement on our show. Um, probably the end of this month, beginning of November. Um, and, uh, let people know we're, we're having a, we're going to have like a two hour, 
live, I guess it's kind of a live stream. We're going to open up a Zoom room and just publicize that we're going to be there. And if you've ever listened to the show or learned something from the show, come and share it with us. If you just want to come and say hello, pop in. There's plenty of room in the Zoom, uh, in the in the in the Zoom room, and uh, we'll have some of our guests come back and say hello. And and just we we want to celebrate it. This is not something that we're trying to crash land here. It's something that has been a big part of our professional careers. It has established us, um, established our reputations in a lot of ways, but also uh, been a very firm foundation for us in terms of connections in terms of differing points of view. I mean, it, it's, it's funny. I say, it, and it sounds kind of crass. I don't listen to many podcasts, Manny, because yeah. I record podcasts at multiple podcast episodes every week. And so the people there are, there are, are, are people that, you know, there are salespeople out there all the time. They're tuning in to hear this person or this person or this person. I just call that person and talk to them. And then we press record and, and <laughs> like, it, it's, I mean, I'm not trying to big time anybody, but you know, what the, the, the people that so many professionals are out there seeking to find are in my network. They're in my phone. I trade text messages or we have yes. conversations when I'm stuck on something. So I've created this network, this mastermind, as much as I really don't love that term, it really is a mastermind of ideas that I've gotten to synthesize. And that is absolutely to be celebrated, but it's time to do something with all of that, that heads in a slightly different direction. Well, I love it. I can't wait to hear uh, what the shift or the pivot is. Um, I know that you're definitely a guy that's always looking to see where the puck is going. And, uh, you know, I'm excited. I'm excited for that next chapter, that next season of your life. Um, rethink the way you sell mm -hmm. so you can sell like you. Man, that tagline, it just crushed me. Like, I was like, wait, I got to re like, am I reading this incorrectly? I have to reread this. And, and I reread it and I reread it. And then as Chad and I were prepping for this morning, he's like, don't forget the tagline, man. That's killer. Ask about that. And so of course I have to ask, where did it come from? Mm -hmm. And, and what are you communicating to us with that tagline and go deep on this? Did that deep side, Chad, did that deep side come through audibly on the, on the recording here? Um, there's a lot. That's a heavy answer. We, we only have 45 minutes. We only have like 30 minutes left. Um, so rethink the way you sell came out of a branding exercise that I did probably four or five years ago when um, it was clear that I, I couldn't brand myself. <laughs> that's not my area of expertise. Um, so I sat down um, with our graphic designer and just, you know, it was actually the same graphic designer that we had for the podcast. And I said, uh, Liz, I need some help with my brand. And so she asked a series of questions. She's very, very good at this. And um, we went through several rounds of ideas and ended up synthesizing a lot of these ideas together. And, um, you know, the best gems kind of come out when I'm just talking, when we're sitting around the campfire, when I'm with a client, it's not scripted, it's real, it's, you know, it, it's not rehearsed. And something came out and she caught it to her, to her credit, she caught it. And then the next round of branding, this, this tagline of rethink the way you sell came out. And I was like, oh, that's, I think I like that. Mm -hmm. And then I showed it to some friends of ours. We had some friends, um, the, the kids are all in school together and it was a Friday night and uh, we just had a couple of pizzas and um, I said, Hey, can I share this stuff with you? And everybody, and I just, I had the branding up on my iPad. I, you know, uh, 
screen mirrored it up to the, the TV. Mm-hmm. And they said, I like that. I really like that. That is you. And so I kind of took ownership of that and trademarked it. Um, as I've been thinking um, more and more recently, particularly about the next book that I have to write. And I've got a couple books that are out there. They're the kind of books that guys like me can read, right? They're 50 mm-hmm. pages and they have pictures in them even, right? They're, they're to the point, they're direct. They don't, they're not longer than they need to be, right? Mm-hmm. But um, there's part of me that knows that a bigger book, a more thorough examination of how I approach selling is, is it's out there. It's where it's, it's in here. Mm-hmm. And um, I was just trying to think, and, and I've got so many friends who do this so well, it's very difficult for me to not be influenced by them. But mm-hmm. then when I think about some of the ideas that come out of my mouth, it's like, oh, wait, but that's too close to so-and-so. That's too, I don't want to plagiarize anybody. I just, I, I want to, I need to do it like me. And then I was, um, I was at a conference earlier this year where I was speaking and I was talking to someone in, in front of my little booth there in the exhibit hall. And uh, I, I revisited a, a refrain that I've, I've helped clients with multiple times where it's like, look, you can't sell like me. I can't right. sell like you. Right. You can't take a script. You can't go find a silver bullet online. There are no silver bullets, but you can't take someone else's ideas and just put them into play because they won't work that well for you. You need to understand the fundamentals that underlie why this person's script worked, why this person's approach worked well for them. You can be inspired by what other people do, but you need to rethink why it works, not just take someone else's ideas and make them work. You got to make it your own. And um, right then I had this idea. I'm like, oh, you got to sell like you. And then I said, all right, that's good. I can't be the only one who's ever said that. And then I remember excusing myself from the conversation, walking into the exhibit hall and saying to myself, that's your book. And then I looked in, uh, pulled up my phone and went to GoDaddy and saw if the, the, the domain was available. And it was. And then I had to check my spelling and make sure I was reading that right. And then I had to go back and, and buy the domain. So clearly no one is saying that, that simply. And yes. then as I thought about it, going back all the way, the last five years, I'm like, that is the thesis of everything that I've been, been trying to talk about, right? No one wants to think, uh, rethink the way you sell. A cerebral guy like myself, someone who's got an engineering kind of mindset, likes to pick things apart and figure out why things work so I can make them work for me. No one wants to think, but everybody wants to sell like them and everybody wants to feel at home. And, and the thing is, when you sell like you, when you find that way to get the job done in a way that's unique to you, you feel good about it and you don't feel dirty. You don't feel like the sales guy that mm-hmm. nobody wants to be. So when you feel good about something, you tend to be more effective with it. When you're more effective with it, you tend to do it more often. And the whole thing is self-fulfilling and really there's a fulfillment to selling. You, you talk about the life that you want to create and the success that you want to create, the help that you want to provide for other people. When you're more likely to do something, when you're better at it, when you see more results from it, you're more likely to continue to do it. That starts to look like exponential growth, Manny. Yes. When you do something that's really effective yes. more often and you feel fulfilled by it, that is literally getting the flywheel spinning. That's the power of being willing to be vulnerable, being willing to be curious, being willing to be, being willing to explore something 
that you thought maybe wasn't for you, but then when you realize you could personalize it, you realize how many people you can help, you realize where that growth is. Like, Manny, I think that's what we're here for, right? I don't want to go existential here, but I, we're here to serve. We're here to help. We're, we're here to make connections. We're here to overcome obstacles. We're, we're here to figure it all out, to be able to personalize that so you get exactly what you need out of it because you're helping other people get exactly what they need out of it. That's yes. magical. That's why I do what I do. Yeah. I, I, I love that you said that. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to write anything down because we already joked about the fact this is being recorded. <laughs> um, but, but look, it, it, um, as you closed on those comments, it immediately reminded me of our, our friend, RJ King, who consistently speaks about the fact that the secret to happiness and success in life is adding value to others. Mm-hmm. And I don't believe in Detroit, in Michigan, in the Great Lakes, in the Midwest, across the country, folks who know RJ King believe he's a salesperson. And yet he's one of the most impressive minds in journalism and media today that I personally know. And his comments and conversations and words consistently influence me to to pivot to adjust either my perspective on something or behavior and i'm like he's like one of the the greatest like undercover salespeople in my personal life right mm-hmm. and and what i think about is the fact that stereotypically Successful salespeople are seen as high income earners, Mm -hmm. high consumers of luxury goods, and with a high level of autonomy and independence. And don't even get me on a rant about social media and how inauthentic that environment is, right? Um, Right. So let's stop me on that, please. Okay, stop. Got it. We're just, yes, Um, moving on. (laughs) <laughs> but when you spoke there, I thought about how many people say, oh, I want to be in sales because of those three things I just shared. Mm. Yet mentally, they're like marshmallows about <laughs> an authentic purpose for getting into servant selling, having an authentic desire to add value and having like a volcanic level of grit for one of the most uh, uh, rejection-ridden professions of nobility on this planet, mm-hmm. right? We add value around someone's priorities or problems. We add value by providing ideas, solutions, services, et cetera, to improve their quality of life and their existence. And yet so many people miserably fail in this incredibly noble profession of just servant selling. Mm-hmm. What? Talk to me about the, the the mindset, the mental conditioning required, the ticket to the dance. Like, what are the characteristics required to get into this dance today? Well, I think you need to understand what you're good at. You need to understand how you can help. You need to understand who you can help but you need to be very clear about why you want to help, right? Look, I can sell a lot of things and I can make a lot more money than I'm doing right now. 
but it doesn't serve me, right? And, and, if, and there's nothing wrong with being financially motivated, right? And, and I think because most people are financially motivated to do something else. So the real motivation is to do something with the money. I would suggest that maybe if you're purely financial, purely financially motivated, and it's really just about how many zeros you can have on the left side of the decimal point in your bank account, then that might be misguided. Maybe it isn't, but that might be misguided if that's the only purpose. Like, what are you here to do with all of that? Mm-hmm. Right. And even if it's like, I want to accumulate as much wealth as possible so that I can pass this on generationally so that my kids and their kids and their kids will have a different lens through which to view life and most importantly, their choices. Right. Because sometimes our financial situation um, has undue influence on what we feel we're capable of in mm-hmm. life, which is a shame. Right. Yes. Um, I think though you have to decide how you're fulfilled. I did not go to college for business. I did not ever see myself in sales. I did not see any of this in front of me. Um, and I was convinced that I could get into sales, um, but only because I was put in or given an opportunity where I could just use the expertise that I had in athletic medicine to serve in a different, in a different, uh, manner. And I was curious enough to say, well, let's give it a shot. And if it, if I hate it after a year, I'll go back to clinical medicine. Cause I was really good at that, but I don't, no reason not to give this a shot. So I did it and I almost quit because I didn't get the guidance that I needed until almost all the way through that year. And so now when I think back to that, I think about the early conversations I had with my mentor. I, I think about how great of a personal relationship we have now to this day, some 17 years later, um, because of the, the broader impact he was able to make on me. And I, I remember one of those early conversations and it relates back to this money conversation. He said, Jeff, I don't do this for the money. He's like, don't get me wrong. I've made a lot of it and I love spending it. He said, but when you start doing it for the money, you're doing it for the wrong reason. When you start figuring out how you can help people, when you start thinking about doing really good work and making sure you are paid commensurate with the value that you provide. Yes. He's like, the money comes. Yes. Right. So it was very important there. It wasn't anti-money, but it wasn't all the way like it's just about money. It's like, no, I'm helping people in a way that I know there's a value and I know I'm getting what I'm worth which is, uh, that's where I think a lot of sellers miss, right? It's, it's, you're, you're actually taking less than what you're worth. So you don't have to have the hard conversations and ask the tough questions. And that's another podcast episode in itself, but go ahead. You wanted to add something. No, I I just, I I love when you said that, right? Because I think, um, you know, people will consistently ask me in study groups or peer groups, why do you compensate the person at the front desk so well, your executive assistant, your marketing team? Well, because I want them to wake up mentally like amped up, game on. I'm going into an environment and a culture and with a business partner that values me. Yeah. And it's not just how he compensates me. It's also his behaviors around me and when I'm not around and the environment that that influences as an organization. But, but compensation is a simple, very specific way that we do sometimes ask ourselves, especially during tough times, am I appreciated? Yeah. Am I earning what I deserve 
for the impact, influence, and expertise that I bring this organization and this team. And so mm-hmm. I do think it's important. And I um and and so I just that I mean that comment just really resonated. And I interrupted you. So if you could still no, it's I just I think you know when you so you were the the original question I think was you know what is what's the recipe right what do you, what does it take yes. to get in what does it take to and you have to understand how you can help people you have to feel compelled to help people and then you just got to make sure that you're being compensated what that help is worth and that's a sliding scale really you know um, but I think first and foremost you have to have a desire to make an impact yeah yeah I I love that I don't I don't think that. I think Brian Tracy said, this is one of the first, one of the first programs I ever listened to. It was on, um, I think it might've been on cassette tape, actually long, long time ago was the psychology of selling. And uh, he said, a sale is nothing more than a transfer of enthusiasm from one party to another. Brian Tracy, man. I mean, we're going way back. Right. Yeah. And, and I was like, okay, that completely redefined the way I think about selling because most sales are not, most sales that are made don't have anything to do with money. Right. So think about the enthusiasm you want to transfer. Think about what you're passionate about. Think about what you want to help other people with, whether it's professionally, whether it's personally, whether it's just talking about that movie you just saw at the theater for the first time in months and you someone's got to go back because it was a great experience, or you want to go to this place or that place, whatever. Like you're making sales in that regard. And and I think when when people redefine for them what selling actually is and redefine for themselves. Again, we get back to sell like you. Well, you get to determine how you define what selling is. Mm-hmm. And when you take a step back and you make it broader than uh, it's dollars and cents, you know, it's, it's money exchange for goods. Uh, all of a sudden you start to think about it differently. And you, you think about the, the way you interact. Like I, I'll, I'll take it a step further. I think anytime you ask someone to do something that they weren't going to do, if it weren't for you asking, you're making a sales call. Mm-hmm. When they do it, you've made a sale. They're mm. now your customer. Do you treat everybody you see on a daily basis like your best customer? What if you did? <laughs> would, would we all agree on everything? No, of course not. No. Would we all get along? Will we all get along a lot better? Yes. yes. Will we have more empathy? Yes. Will we yes. understand each other better? Will we be open-minded? Yes. Will we be able to solve bigger problems than we're capable of right now? Because we had that level of mutual respect for everybody else walking around us a hundred percent. Yes. So now how do you think about selling, right? If you're a manager, you're leading a team, your team, they're your customers, right? Would you lead differently if you were leading a team of your best customers? I hope not but probably mm-hmm. your kids, they're your customers. Mm-hmm. Your parents, they're your customers. Mm-hmm. Your siblings, your friends, your other relatives, anybody. We, all this comes out of just pulling on the thread of, well, a sell is, or sale, selling is more than just exchanging goods and services for money. And so talk about rethink the way you sell. I've spent 17 years rethinking the way I sell. And I've got this, perspective now. Mm-hmm. And I help other people see it differently so that they can have these same epiphanies for themselves. And it comes back to more fulfillment, more help, more happiness, better understanding, more empathy, all that stuff that makes everything else work better. There's nothing that doesn't work better with more curiosity, more vulnerability, and more empathy and more understanding. So, um, 
so I, I really enjoyed those remarks and those comments. And, and you made me think of a friend of mine, Lauren Johnson. She's a, a mental performance coach and speaker out West. She is crushing life and dominating mm-hmm. everything she touches. And when she was on, she spoke about being a fountain versus a drain in people's lives. And so, you know, you, you referenced Brian Tracy, but more importantly, you referenced a mentor of yours that mm-hmm. you met early on who really helped you um, maybe uh, adjust your trajectory, which has now made this, you know, your lifelong passion, purpose, and calling, right? Um, I, you know, there's there, there have to be so many young sales professionals aspiring for a better and healthier quality of life in this noble profession of servant selling how can they position themselves thoughtfully so that they're attracting the right mentors and the right fountains in their life? I think it really starts with curiosity and a little bit of, um, and just a little bit of courage. Now, you know, this mentor was put together with me. And it's funny, I, he shall remain nameless until he comes on the why and the by. And I don't think he's coming on as a guest because he refuses to. So I just continue to refer to him as he who shall remain nameless. And yes. every time he hears that, he chuckles a little bit. Um, but I mean, he joined the organization as a leader. And basically I was introduced to him at a trade show and it was like, Hey, you're on my team. We're bringing on this new line of stuff. And, you know, we got to know me a little bit. And he said, here's the thing, Jeff, you have access to customers because of the lines you already sell, but you don't know how to sell. He's like, I know how to sell, but I don't have any access yet. No one knows me around here. So you want to do this together. Let's do it. I think this is a good fit. And I was like searching for anything, right? I just needed some help. And I was, yes, please let's do this. And um, so that mentor, we were put together, we were placed together. Um, But, you know, other mentors that I've found along the way, I've just been curious, curious to follow what it is that they're saying, curious to hear some of the things um, that I didn't necessarily agree with, but I gave them the benefit of the doubt that, Mm -hmm. well, it must mean something. So then I was brave enough to reach out. What do you mean by that? I... I initially wanted to disagree with you, but I've got to give you the benefit of the doubt here. Can, can we talk about this? And then it grew huh. to, um, Hey, um, do you want to come on the podcast and talk about this? Right. Or, or whatever, <laughs> you know, and, 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 you know, reaching out in, in any conversation, I, I say this with regard to prospecting particularly, but also within any kind of relationship in order to get someone to take your call in order to get someone to have that conversation with you, you just need to have something worth talking about, and you need to be someone worth talking to. That's the bar you have to clear. Yes. So what do you do to earn that right? Well, it's not just lavishing someone with gifts. It's, it's about maybe challenging them a little bit, or maybe complimenting them a little bit by saying, Hey, you made me think, can you help me understand this a little more? You would be shocked how many people are waiting to take that call are waiting to have that conversation. Every time I need to tease something out a little bit or go a little deeper on something with someone who doesn't understand my initial thesis, I get a deeper understanding of it too. 
It's mm-hmm. like I mentioned before, if I could just press record on all the conversations I had every day, I would record a lot more of these nuggets that just kind of come out serendipitously. The problem is then I'd have to go back and listen to the transcripts. I don't have time for that. But the, the uh, you know, uh, and I, I go back to my mentor who, who brought me in, our careers parted ways and he brought me in. I mean, I was working with another company that, that he was associated with at the time. And he said, Jeff, I got to tell you something. He said, I've never said this to you before. He said, but Way back when, when you were green and excited and, and just asking all kinds of questions all the time, he's like, I had to be ready for that. Mm-hmm. He's like, you made me better because you asked those questions. Mm-hmm. You made me better because I had to be prepared for the stuff you were going to ask. And I had to hold on for dear life because I knew there was something I knew you weren't going to, that I didn't know you were going to ask. And I had to be ready for it. It made me sharper. Everybody out there who you're considering to be a mentor. If you're listening to this, if you're considering that person to be a potential mentor for you, you owe it to them to ask. 100%. I do have to write this down so I don't forget. (laughs) Because the recordings, there's too many. (laughs) But isn't it crazy? I mean, if, you know, let's go back to some of the comments you made a little bit ago. And like, you know, if we all uh, focus more about being in this moment, being in this life, living our life rather than tactically just, you know, doing things like Pac-Man eating those, you know, little tiny balls on the screen. Right. Um, You know, it would bring out, I mean, my wife, Samantha always says, you know, be, don't not do just be in the moment, be in your life. Right. And so we would approach it with probably a higher level of curiosity of, of empathy, of, of, of just genuine desire to, you know, uh, uh, to seek, to understand. And, uh, you know, they talk about how that, you know, that's the, the greatest thing that all of humanity craves is to be understood. And mm-hmm. um, it just, it just makes me think that if we operated in that fashion, the game of prospecting and generating deal flow could be simplified mm-hmm. and the path could feel less like a war and maybe more like an uphill hike, if you will. And, and, and you, with you a wrote view. a, say that with a view, with a, by view, the way, you, you, you wrote a book. And mm-hmm. so, because most people, we just won't make the time to read it. Mm-hmm. The five forgotten fundamentals of prospecting. Can you give me the cliff notes version of that in three to five minutes? I can, but don't start the timer yet. Because speaking of being mindful, I had a, just a little thought while you were talking. If, and I'm going to go back, this is what they call in the business, a callback, right? You remember my snack from earlier? <laughs> if the little pellets in Pac-Man were shaped like tortilla chips, I'd probably set the high score, right? That's just all I'm saying. Okay. So the five. <laughs> El milagro. I hope you're listening. <laughs> a stack of foods. Wake up. Um, Okay. So the five forgotten fundamentals of prospecting. Number one, know what you bring to the table. Number two, know who you should be talking to. Number three, you have to create tension if you're going to make sales. Number four, be the expert. You have to have something worth talking about, right? And then number five is keep your swagger. Okay. Um, Number three, I want to hear about number three, explain, create tension. Everybody wants to hear about number three, right? So anybody who's been more or less traditionally taught 
uh, or, or brought up in selling and sales has been taught about finding the pain and digging into that, which makes your prospect really uncomfortable. Um, I'm not into pain. It's there, there's discomfort, but there's not always a pain that needs to be solved. There is always a transformation that your prospect is looking to undergo. Okay. Sometimes it's from an undesirable place, which people would call painful to a desirable one. Sometimes it's a company that is killing it right now, feels like they're playing with house money and they want to pour rocket fuel on what they're doing so they can set records, not goals. Right? So I call that a transformation. I call that an outcome that they're looking to, to seek. Right. And, and I like to say, no one buys a Rolex watch because they need to know what time it is. Okay. Let's be real. <laughs> so what is the tension oh. that you're trying to create? What is, what is the tension is that gap between where your prospect is right now and where you can help them get. And so the, uh, the opportunity there is to help understand the value, help understand what this prospect's goals, dreams, hopes, desires are, and creating the situation by where you can help them get that. Okay. You can help them get to where they want to go. Yeah. And this ties into the expertise. You need to show them that you've helped others get where they want to go in a similar fashion, right? So you, have, you see the landscape in front of them in a way that they can't see it for themselves. The desire to get there is increasing and you know the way. You're the guide. You've done this before. You've seen those pitfalls before. You can identify the traps that are set in, in front of them, the obstacles they're going to need to avoid or work through. And you're proving yourself as the guide who can help them get there. And um, like people are nervous to take steps that they haven't taken in the past. And you're helping them to, you know, by you assisting them, you're actually easing that tension as you go through the process. But I mean, I don't like all the focus around pain. I don't like all the focus around salespeople feeling like they need to make people uncomfortable in order to mm -hmm. need, in order to create uh, some dynamic here for, for a change to be made. It's like, mm -hmm. look, where do you want to go? And you know, your firm works with people in financial services. The pain right now might be that they didn't have any money, but they know they're going to need some. Okay. Mm -hmm. The pain right now could be like, I don't have, I, or I have all kinds of money. I just don't know what to do that. I'm, I don't know how to be a responsible steward of it. Mm -hmm. And I don't know where to start. Mm -hmm. So you need someone that's going to help steward that journey. Mm -hmm. You need someone who's going to help point the way, have your hand mm -hmm. on their shoulder. Know that, that, that they know that you're behind them. They know that you're there as an advisor. Mm -hmm. They know that you're there as someone who can help them avoid the disasters while pointing them in the right direction while also giving them some control over what that direction wants to be. There's not one way to do it. There are a lot of ways to be successful. How do you feel most fulfilled by choosing your journey to success? So that, that, that tension is, it's really the best word that I've, that I've come up with um, for illustrating that gap between where they are right now and where they want to be. And just a, acknowledging that where they are right now may not be all that bad. Right. Maybe yeah. they're looking to invest in a Rolex yeah. watch. Okay. Which one? Right. I yeah. mean, it's, it's, it, it, I just, I think the pain, um, the dynamic there, and, and it, I, I think that's short sighted. May, may I, uh, just in case you um, refresh the book, maybe on the 10 year anniversary of it, may I suggest a sixth chapter? Okay. 
build an army of advocates. Mm-hmm. And I think it could be an incredible pivot from, you know, maintaining your swagger. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's the simple concept of when we have clarity in why we are obsessed about adding value, being an expert in our profession and delivering an empathetic experience that proves we genuinely seek to understand your mm-hmm. dreams, your priorities, your fears in order to add value in this moment. We should shout that from the mountaintop mm-hmm. and vision casting, storytelling, and asking people who love and care about us, who respect us to become an advocate. There's nothing wrong with that. Mm-mm. And I That's think the point. It, it goes back to, you know, uh, you know, the example of, of why you and your, uh, you know, your mentor really hit it off. I think of my business partner today, Paul Davis, Paul Davis is homegrown. I mean, he is one of Michigan's sons, mm-hmm. right? And I moved to Michigan in 2017 to become the steward and team captain of Mass Mutual, Great Lakes. And my a mentor from Chicago tells me, no one cares who you are or what you've done for 15 years in the city of Chicago. You've never even been to Detroit. No one cares. No one knows you. And so I hope you're ready. And, and that, that, really, that really hit me and stayed with me early on, which was, how am I going to fix this? or improve this environment that I'm about to walk into as the steward and team captain of this firm now, representing one of the greatest brands in financial security, stability, and success in the world today. And I thought of, I'm going to build an army of advocates. Well, Paul had access to highly successful, high profile, high income, high influential people. Mm -hmm. And I was obsessed about adding value to people's lives through the noble profession that I'm in, in financial services. And so that partnership and earning Paul's love and respect first, and then continuing to grow my army of advocates has made prospecting in Michigan, in the Great Lakes market, in the Midwest, and in the country really now, our our personal practice, podium risk management is a national practice you know, serving athletes, CEOs, and business owners across the country, it's made prospecting so much less painful. And so I would just humbly suggest that that might be an additional chapter and could be a completely separate conversation that you and I have that we record. And and maybe we add some value uh, to young sales professionals and even veterans who are looking for uh, some type of, you know, uh, pivot or or, or makeover in their careers. Thoughts? I, I love where you're going with that. Um, the alliteration doesn't work the same way though. The six forgotten fundamentals of prospecting. I don't know where we'll be able to put that in. Um, it'll be a bonus or something like that. Um, no, no, I, but I know I love where you're going with that. And it's funny too. You know, I wrote that book in 2018. I think I yeah, published that in 2018. And in the three years since I've already, I've already updated it. I've already, um, you know, internally haven't put it, but it's, it's amazing how, you know, as you progress through your career and it's why a lot of artists feel like they're never done with something, right. Or when they're done with it, 
that's where they were at that time. That's not who I am anymore. Or that represents who the, the, the bones of who I am, but not the final finished version of where I am, you know, right now today. And, and I love that the, the conversation continues to evolve, right? And when you have that army of advocates that justifies that you are someone worth talking to with something worth talking about. And, that's the, the testimonials, it's the referrals, it's the social proof, it's all that. And I didn't touch on any of that in the book because I was just focused in a different, you know, in a different way. But no, that, I could not agree more with who or with how you're speaking about that because that's the goal. That's the point. And I think that's what mm -hmm. a lot of salespeople miss. And I think that's why a lot of people are reluctant to agree or admit that they're in sales because they've been burned by someone who wasn't concerned with building an army of advocates. They were concerned with building an army of commission checks. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's totally different. It, when, it's funny though, when you build a stack of commission checks, you don't necessarily build an army of advocates, but when mm -hmm. you build an army of advocates, isn't it funny how the money seems to follow that? <laughs> oh man, the wizard. Hey, I've been called a lot of things, Manny. <laughs> you're the wizard, as far as I'm concerned. But look, there, there's the there's the other book, and and I thought about okay, so so we're earn we're 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 prospecting, we're earning, you know, well qualified, warm, you know, warm nominated humans, and and now what do we do, right? And so I think about the significance of your process. And locally in our culture, we often talk about, we have to consistently audit our process because if mm -hmm. we don't have a strong process, a simple, repeatable, strong process that adds value, we have a problem. And right. so you wrote a book about, you know, rethink the way you sell and a guide to owning your sales process. Mm -hmm. Give me the three minute cliff notes on that. Uh, I, I, that was one of the earliest things that I ever put together. And um, really, that's actually where the five forgotten fundamentals of prospecting came from. Um, awesome. But when you, when you focus on process, you get results. When you focus on results, you tend to get frustrated. And the, the, the biggest shift in my professional career happened between jobs. Um, I left my first sales job, went to another one, had an opportunity to focus, but most uh, importantly, had an, a fresh start to put into play some of the things that I had wanted to in the past, but didn't feel like I could. There was just too much momentum, too much inertia going mm -hmm. in a different direction. And uh, when I looked at what I was doing, doing a lot of service work, touching base and, and talking to a lot of customers, but not really doing a lot of selling, um, I, I thought I was doing what needed to be done, but I had really poor results and it could never connect anything I was doing to any of the results that I was seeing. And then I finally had this fresh start and I said, you know what, I'm going to focus on a few things, identifying new opportunities, scheduling appointments to talk, not just dropping in, expecting to talk because that's different. Even when mm -hmm. someone's happy to see you scheduling time to talk, communicating my value and uh, working on uh, next steps, asking for next steps. When you can focus on those things. And those are the only four important steps to the sales process that there are. When you focus on those types of activities, it's amazing what happens. And so instead of worried about worrying about wooing someone, or instead of worrying about how many times you get in front of them face to face, think about what you're trying to accomplish, not what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And then your actions will then align with your goals of what you're trying to accomplish. And that's when real results happen. Um, so that's the, the gist, that's, that's my overarching feeling on, 
um, on the process. You've got to got to be able to prospect. You've got to be able to understand where you are in your process so you can ask for those next steps. You've got to serve. You've, you've definitely got to keep your wits about you, though. And, and swagger is the real thing. Like it's a fun word to use. It's a fun <laughs> word to say, you know. But like, look, it's hard. What we do is difficult, and I'm not shying away from the difficulty. Um, I think it's difficult on purpose, and I think human beings should do hard things on purpose because in every obstacle there is presented an opportunity. And the more obstacles you face, the more opportunities you see, the better able you are to do harder things in the future. And um, there's a benefit to that. And I believe that gets us, gives us the opportunity to get in touch with who we really are as human beings. And um, that's why what I do and the difficulty of it is so fulfilling to me. And that, and that, that goes back to what your lovely daughter mentioned this morning, right? I mean, the, the swagger, the fact that you dressed up like you're going to a wedding is why you've been breathing fire down my throat like a <laughs> dragon all morning. So I want to thank her for her quick and witty observation of the fact that your game completely elevated into a different stratosphere because you put a coat on this morning. Look, we have like two minutes left, but don't major in the minors. What does that make you think about when it, as it relates to selling? What's really important, um, you know, putting yourself in front of people who can say yes and doing so on a regular basis and providing a ton of value, right? Jeffrey Gittimer taught me that. That's, that's when it comes down to it, put yourself in front of people who can say yes and make sure there's a reason that they'll talk to you. Yep. You are all over my LinkedIn thread (laughs) spewing the gospel about cold calling. It's not dead. I thought it died like. 19 years ago when I started in the business, but you're telling the world it's not dead. Tell me why. Well, be careful because it's going to die again. And then it's going to die again. And then it's going to die again. And it's funny. It's, you know, the phone is dead. Long live the phone. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. Look, um, there are a lot of people out there making a cottage industry around telling salespeople what they want to hear. And at the end of the day, You got to put yourself in front of people who can say yes to you. And if you're relying on them to find you in the sea of information that is out there, um, what's going to make you stand out and just play that game to its logical conclusion. The ending doesn't look so great. So yeah, no, it's um, you you still have to put yourself in front of people. You don't know with ways that they don't know that you can even help them. That is a very complex puzzle to solve. And I love that because I lived it right when I moved to Michigan. They, um, uh, a an advocate of mine, said, "Hey, you should hire a company to give you a list of the hundred most influential people in the state of Michigan and just cold call them." Mm-hmm. I'm I'm new. I'm the steward and team captain of Mass Mutual Great Lakes. I'm so excited for my family and I to raise our children, Ava and Atlas, in the great state of Michigan. My only intention is to add value and elevate the mass mutual brand to the premier level. It should be, may I have 15 minutes to just introduce myself and ask you a few questions about Michigan because it's my first time here. Believe it or not, that's how I met RJ King. I I just cold called the list at 39 years of age, mostly CEOs and people in the media and sports. Sure. And people accepted the conversation. So I was teasing when it said it's dead. It's only dead if you're telling yourself it's dead. So the 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 mental warfare that's Mm. this is where it's at, right? We make the decision of what's dead or not up here. Mental is the physical, as four is the one. My college football coach, Nick Morosis, 
One of the greatest mentors. This guy loved me even after I quit. I just mm-hmm. am so thankful for the impressions that he has left on my life, like tattoos in my soul. That one, <laughs> mental yeah. is the physical, as four is the one. Cold calling is not dead, folks. And Jeff Bajoric is right. Mm-hmm. Last one. Okay. What's the end game for Jeff? Oh. The end game for Jeff? I don't know. I haven't thought that far ahead. I've been playing with house money for so long. <laughs> Does serious. Laura know? <laughs> <laughs> Laura, don't she listen. She does now. <laughs> She does now. You know, um, we, we um, get an opportunity to write our own stories. And um, I think the, the fun is in the journey, right? I'm not in a hurry to get to the end. I'm going to be here for a long time. I'm going to be doing what I do for a long time. And um, I just, I, I love what I get to do. So every day is a new chapter. We, it's, you know, I, I don't know what the, the end game is. I, I, see it, uh, I see it a long way off. So I'm, I'm engrossed in the middle of the movie right now. We'll get to the end when it comes. I love that. Folks, Jeff Bajoric. I mean, he crushed it today. I'm super thankful. Um, look, anyone who can put out 400 plus episodes um, on a podcast, that's really special. Um, there's a millions of hot podcasts out there today. Uh, there's not that many that have that many episodes. I strongly encourage you to find Jeff on LinkedIn. The podcast is the why and the by. And look, he reminds me of when I listen to his content, he reminds me of something someone said to me a long time ago about selling. Never quit on the dreams you have for your life. Respect the nobility of being a servant salesperson to your clients. Respect that nobility and you will be rewarded beyond your wildest dreams. We look to be gainfully employed typically so that we can earn the resources to create the conduit to the quality of life we desire. And this profession of servant selling is such a gift. And if you don't believe that, look up Dr. Jimmy Eckert from Western Michigan, sales and business marketing, one of the most incredible gurus in the space. And hey, If you're thinking about quitting on your dreams, look up Billy Sizzler, pitcher, minor league pitcher, 27 seasons, played for 50 teams, 1923 to 1950, never made it to the majors, but never quit on his dreams. And so for the people who look at it as he never made it to the majors, that's not the lesson. The lesson is never quit on your dreams. Jeff, you're the man. You're the man. You're the wizard. And I'm thankful for your time. Thank you. Now I know you're into wizards and dragons. So that's a little inside information. I don't know if the, that's going to go back in the memory banks there too. So 